You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. John chapter 14, we're continuing to talk about the love of, the love of God. I shared this testimony first service, but I know when we say the phrase, the love of God, there's this kind of air of familiarity that we all uh, react with of like, yeah, I know about the love of God, heard that, John 3.16, I know it, I know about the love of God, but this, this woman a few, few weeks ago came up and shared with me um, a testimony of how the Lord's been working in her life over the last few weeks as we've been exploring this endless theme of the love of God, and uh, she had that reaction out of the gate when we first talked about this, this theme on identity, exploring the love of God, and the Lord in his loving way, kind of rebuked her, corrected her, and just invited her to explore his love in a greater way. That Monday morning, then she woke up with that sort of spirit. Okay, God, I want to know your love in a greater way. Well, the Lord took her on a journey that morning, back into places in her heart she'd never been before, and the Lord began to do a work deep in her heart. Stuff from back when she was 13, 14, stuff that he wanted to heal in her, deep in her heart. She didn't even know was there. But that is the love of God to impact your daily life. So I encourage you to push past the preconceived ideas that you know the love of God because you really don't. And so we've talked about our identity in the Father and the love of the Father to take us from being orphans, adopted into the family. Last or two weeks ago, we started talking about the love of the Son that takes us from being slaves to sin to actually being free, co-heirs in a kingdom. And I want us to continue to talk about that aspect of the love of God, the love of the Son this morning. Psalm 113 says he takes us from the pit from the ashes, and he places us with princes. Such a beautiful description of God's rescue story. But I want you to press into how personal it is. This has to be personal. In order for the love of God to move beyond theory, beyond just Christ, Christian doctrine, it has to be personal. The love of God invading your life personally. The love of God seeing you, rescuing you from the ashes, positioning you in a place of royalty in a kingdom. It's you, and it's personal. So we're going to look at John chapter 14 this morning. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and he gets into some really amazing dialogue with his disciples that we get to, we get to see, we get to catch a glimpse of. And so I want us to, to hear from the red letters of Jesus this morning, John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Sometimes it can sound like Jesus is talking in riddles or something, but he's not trying to trick you. He's speaking to the humble hearts. He gives, he gives answers that are sim- simple but they're not necessarily easy for our hearts to embrace. So look at this dialogue then. Thomas said to him, Lord, do we know where you are going? Or sorry, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him explicitly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you you do know him and have seen him. Now Philip chimes in. Philip wants to talk to Jesus about trying to understand this as well. He said, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and the greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, anything in my name, I will do it. That is the love of the Son ushering you into something, into a new way of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, King Jesus is saying. He's saying, follow my lead. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to prepare a place for you into a kingdom. So the love of God invites you to come with him into a new way of life, and it's into a kingdom. Sadly, though, most people stop at the door of the kingdom. They stop at the gate of the kingdom. He said, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father, I mean, they can only come to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. But oftentimes we stop at the gate. He says, I'm going to actually prepare a place for you, a way of life. He's, he's leading us into this expanse, which is a way of actually living day to day. And I want us to move beyond the doorway, beyond the threshold beyond just accepting him as savior, to now being king, the one who actually rules and reigns over your daily life, who now reorients your values, realigns your purposes, your way of seeing the world around you, that's our new way of life in a kingdom. Jesus makes it explicit that he is the only way. There are not multiple ways. There's not a variety of ways. There's not a variety of paths. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to come before the Father is through Jesus himself, which I know can be an offensive message, especially in our modern age. People don't like to, to read specifically uh, John chapter 14, verse 8. We like to think that there are multiple ways to God, but Jesus makes it explicit, which is good news for you to hear, because on a philosophical level, when it, when it comes to truth, there can only be one correct answer. And Jesus makes it very explicit that he is the way. So don't look elsewhere. The other gods, there's, there's no power there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In that sense, it's exclusive. But in terms of his call, in terms of his invitation, it is utterly in inclusive. He, in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. It's for whoever believes, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, doesn't matter your background, background, doesn't matter where you come from. Whoever believes will have eternal life, but he is the only way. And so Jesus makes it clear. He is the door. He is the gate. Come to the gate, but let's go beyond the gate. Let's go into a new way of life, into this vast expanse, which is the kingdom of God. Verse one, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying that to these disciples in whom he's been, uh, to whom he's been reminding that he's gonna have to give his life. He's gonna have to go and die a, a death on a cross. So I'm, I'm going away. I'm not gonna be with you forever. Don't let your hearts be troubled though. Believe in God, believe also in me. Get this right. I am equal to God. Just like you say you believe in God, please believe in me as king. 
So this is now what frames our view of life in God. It's our view of the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is king. And it's his kingship that now frames our view of our life in this new kingdom. That's why we, for an entire year, we've been spending as a church family exploring this theme of kingdom. Because this is one of the primary identities you now have in God, is life in a kingdom. You've been brought into a kingdom. And that that kingdom now defines your way of life Monday through Sunday. Not just Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. It's that new identity. And Jesus rules as king. He leads the way. So in the first couple verses here, he described that he was going away to prepare a place for us. He's inviting us into something. In these verses, he's standing at the door. He has not yet given his his life on the cross. It's like he's standing at the threshold. I'm going to be making a way, making a gateway, a doorway into a new kingdom of life. Will you come and follow me? Come follow me into this new life. Sadly, especially in our modern age, too many people stand at the door. They stand at the gate, peering in, not realizing they're missing out on everything that Jesus purchased for them. They didn't just, Jesus didn't just purchase for them a change in their eternal destination or change in their religious affiliation. He purchased for them a whole new way of life. So I want to invite you into that, into that life of purpose. One of my heroes of the faith, C.T. Studd, said, that, said this about his moment where he, he turned from um, Christian culture to actually following Christ. And C.T. Studd was, a, uh, in his day, a famous ath- college athlete, and he, he was born into wealth, uh, born into esteem, until he encountered Christ. He, he actually ended up leaving it all and going and serving on the mission field in China and Africa. But he grew up in a Christian or post-Christian England. And so he had been around Christianity. He had been around religion. And he had been to church services and, and heard the stories. But it had never been personal. It had never invaded his heart in such a way that it actually summoned him, called him to lay down his life and follow this king. This is what he says. He says, the commands of Christ in that moment, they became not merely Sunday recitations, but battle calls to be obeyed. Instead of saying, Lord, Lord, in a most reverent voice many times, and yet continuing deaf to the simplest commands, I began to look upon God as really my father and to rely upon him as a real father and to trust him as such. I talked of God as a real living personal friend. In other words, I dropped the Canton ceremony and I became a Christian. And that's my prayer for every single person this morning. As you begin to live life, yes, as a Christian in a kingdom, that it would, it would reorient and change your view of life Monday through Sunday. So the question then is, will we trust him, trust King Jesus, to frame our new life? Will we trust him? This, this is why it's personal because it becomes a matter of your heart. Will you trust him? Will you submit your heart to King Jesus in this way? We, we started to talk about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about freedom. Jesus sets us free from slavery for something. He doesn't just set us free from slavery into some sort of independent, individualistic anarchy. He sets us free for a new way of life where he now orders your steps. He shows you what this new life is like and he knows best. 
Do you believe that he knows best? Do you believe that King Jesus knows best for your life? We like to call the shots. We like to think that we know best. I've, been, I've grown familiar with this in my, my household of three little daughters who like to set the rules in their own rooms. I have three daughters who've, who've all come to me with written sets of rules for their room. They all include that no boys are allowed, which is good. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that rule. No boys allowed. No taking toys. No food except for water. You know, all those, those rules. They, they love that sense of this is their domain. They call the shots. They know what's best. They're given responsibility and ownership of this space, and it's theirs. And as we venture out into this world, we, we love to cling to those, those, those senses of, uh, of power. And then we have that encounter with King Jesus. Are we going to give him the reins of our life? Are we going to allow him to now set the, um, set the standards and the rules for, for by which we live? I would say one of the most robust, comprehensive looks at our way of life in the kingdom is found in Matthew chapter 5 through seven in the Sermon on the Mount. If you wanna know what life in the kingdom most thoroughly, most thoroughly is like, look at Matthew chapter five through seven, verse by verse. I encourage you to pour over that at some point. But Jesus talks about what this, the, the values of this kingdom are like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. In this world, none of those things sound like blessed, the things that are blessed, attributes that are blessed. But he says in this kingdom, that's the way it is. Those that are dependent on him, those who are humble, those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, those that are, they're find their comfort in King Jesus, those that are pure in heart, Here's another one. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We're like, uh, no, that doesn't sound blessed. That sounds like a cursed life. But King Jesus says, trust me, I'm going into a place, into a, a vast expanse, a kingdom, and this is the way of life. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. And that's just the first 11 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. A total reorientation of our way of life new values, new priorities that now frames our view of life Monday through Sunday. He goes on to talk about the matters of the heart. He goes on to talk about anger in our heart and equating it to murder. Talking about lust in our heart and equating it to adult, adult, sorry, adultery. He's talking about how we shouldn't get divorces and we need to keep be people who keep our word. We, we should be people who don't retaliate against people. And I know we're all getting uncomfortable now. We're like, hey, King Jesus, hey, that stuff's off limits. Don't mess with my heart. But King Jesus knows best. He calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute. He calls us here to actually give in secret, not caring if anyone ever recognizes it or sees it actually preferring that no one else knows. He says to pray in secret, to fast in secret, to have this like life that's it's a good secret life, not a bad secret life, but a, th th those are the things King Jesus is leading us towards. Will we trust him? Will we trust that King Jesus knows best? 
You know, and ultimately in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about him going on to fulfill every iota of the spirit of this law that he lays out, that he's going to fulfill all that. He's going to live to the, the very essence of, of this entire Sermon on the Mount. He's going to fulfill it. That's why he is the perfect uh, qualifying sacrifice on the cross. This Jesus that came and lived amongst us and fulfilled this is difficult for us to embrace. This God who came in the flesh and lived life with us and amongst us, fully manifested. It's this King Jesus who pushes back on what's comfortable in our life. I find as I talk with people that people accept readily historical Jesus and even the most staunch, atheistic, agnostic, uh, historical scholars will affirm that historical Jesus really existed. There was a man from Nazareth that really did come and die on a, on a Roman cross and who really did rise from the dead. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of fact. But you take it beyond history to your personal life and that's where people stop. The aspects of Jesus that sound nice, mercy, compassion, and humility, we'll take it until King Jesus reveals that he's asking us to show mercy. He's asking us to show compassion. He's asking us to step out in faith and believe that the Father can work the miraculous through us. He's asking us to walk in humility towards our neighbors. That's where King Jesus is leading us. Is he king of our lives? It's the call upon us, upon each one of our lives. Will we trust his rule and his reign in our lives? Will we submit to him now framing our new way of life? He makes it clear that he and the Father are one. So you say you trust in God, you believe in God, then trust King Jesus. That's like the next level. You say you trust in God. God can be this phrase for some like just big, intangible, distant God, deity. King Jesus brings it very personal. He's calling you to follow him in very specific ways, to submit all of your ways and everything in your heart to him. That's the kingship of Jesus now framing our view of life. Will we trust him? Secondly is this. Not only will we trust him with, to frame our new view of life, but will we embrace our inheritance in him? Which he begins to unpack in this passage. What he's describing in this kingdom is an inheritance that you are rewarded with for following King Jesus. An inheritance. We don't oftentimes think of inheritance as much in the West, but this is a major part of Jewish culture. And Jesus uses that language of inheritance to stoke or, or um, to invite our imaginations into following him, into a place that is good. So he says he's going to prepare a place. And he uses very ancient Jewish language to help describe what that place is like. Not so much as a physical place, but as a way of life. He talks about like going away and preparing a place. Like in Jewish culture, they would actually build an, like a, an addition onto their home to bring in additional family members. We have, we have a kid that's getting married, so let's build on a room onto our house. The family will come and live, live on our estate. It'll be a happy, a happy story. It's like a groom going away to prepare a place for his bride. 
And so Jesus uses that language. I'm going away to prepare a place. Ultimately, the way was through the cross, through the resurrection. He's going away to prepare a place. And you and I now are invited to live in that kingdom, in that, in that inheritance. Fully? No, not fully. But there is much that we get to walk in right now, here and now, in the present. He's prepared a place for you to occupy, a space for you to occupy with rights and privileges and responsibilities in this new kingdom. The question is, will we live that way? Will you live like you have an inheritance? Will you live like he actually purchased for you and rewarded you with an inheritance, with privileges and rights and responsibilities? And these sorts of messages on identity really always have to come to the place of the everyday stuff of our life. That's really where it's all demonstrated. We can say all day that our identity is in God, but really where it push, when push comes to shove, where it's all demonstrated is Monday. It's on Tuesday. Truly what we believe about who we are in King Jesus is demonstrated in those, in those moments, in the grind. So when we demonstrate our identity, our confidence that he really has called us to demonstrate his kingdom and express his kingdom. Verse 12, some, some of the most beautiful uh, passages in all of scripture. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's talking about inheritance. That's what he is giving you, rewarding you with. That is your inheritance in the kingdom. To do the works that Jesus did. The works that he was famous for. The miraculous supernatural works. To now have access to the, to the very throne of God because of the name of Jesus. When he's talking about his name, he's, he's talking about a name representing a person. It's a summary statement of someone's character, their reputation. You know, the, the name of Jesus pointed to his attributes, his person, and all that he accomplished. So please understand me. When we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, we're not talking about a magic formula. Instead, we're confessing our dependence and our trust and our confidence in the person and the work of Jesus as king, that he truly is king, and you can depend on him, and you can trust, on him. You can trust in him. You can have confidence in the person and the work of King Jesus. And so that's the way you pray. And when you pray like that, he gives you a promise that he'll answer. He will, he will give you what you ask in the name of Jesus in confidence in alignment with his character and his person. So that is a piercing call for the church. Will we take the words of Jesus seriously? Will we believe that God actually wants to work through us in a way similar to the way he worked through his son. I mean, just imagine an inheritance that goes unused, wasted, neglected, ignored, forgotten. Imagine the sacrifice and the price paid and then for that inheritance to go neglected. Just imagine. Imagine a king who's led a company of people so far to, to a door, to a gate, and then no one actually follows him into the kingdom. They never take the next step to actually uh, being ushered into the kingdom. They all just kind of stay sitting at the gate, sitting at the door. 
He's actually called you into a way of life with confidence and trust and faith to do the things that Jesus did. A verse that I read a few weeks ago, Romans chapter eight, verses 16 through 17, Paul describes it like, like this, that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? That's the love of the father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, that's the love of the son. You are now heirs with Christ. The things that Jesus did, you're called to do. Not just me, not just the pastors aren't just like the, the super spiritual people that get to do the works. No, it's all of us. It's you being the body, you being the kingdom represented in this world. This, this quickly, this inheritance piece, you know, breaks down the walls of the church very quickly. We can't keep hiding in here. We can't keep hiding in our sanctuary. No, we have to be let out because God has called us to, to do the works that he's called, I mean, that he, that he did, the very works that he did. But let's be honest. The reason why most likely, most likely we don't embrace the inheritance that we have in Christ is because it's painful. We don't want to suffer like Christ did. You know, Christ was, he stood out. He was different. He was distinct. He was rejected. He was misunderstood. And it's costly to be distinct in this world. We talk about the greater works, but the cost for those greater works is us dying to people's opinions of us. We're called to be children of light, but oftentimes children of light are mocked. They're resented. We need to be okay with that. Isn't that what happened to Jesus? The reward when we step into that kingdom and we're distinct because we're now living in a kingdom of light, not a kingdom of darkness. The reward for that is greater works, like Jesus walked in. I've been in the church many years and been around a lot of different circles, a lot of different denominations, and I have heard a lot of creative explanations for John chapter 14, verse 12. You know, when Jesus talks about the greater works, I've heard people say, you know, he was just talking to the disciples. He's just talking to the 12 disciples, so please, so please, little naive one, don't believe that God could use you. He, I've heard people say, well, he was just talking to the, the, the biblical age, for, for, for there to be a validation of the, the, can, the canon of scripture. We're just talking about the apostolic age for the establishment of the church of the first hundred years. And on and on and on, these kind of scriptural gymnastics to get around the plain reading of scripture. Do you want to break this down? He says, truly, truly. In the original Greek, what Jesus is saying is undeniably. For the King James fans out there, verily, verily. Okay, truly, truly he's saying. Please leave no buts about it. Like leave no doubt in your mind. Undeniably, he's saying, whoever believes. You know that Greek word, whoever believes, is the same Greek word Jesus uses in John chapter three, uh, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the same sort of belief in God to be our savior is the same sort of belief that ushers us in to an inheritance in him and in his kingdom. It's the same sort of faith. It's the same sort of belief. It's beyond just mental ascent. It's more than just a doctrinal idea. It's a faith in his kingship and that he is actually sufficient, that he is more than enough. And what that does, that faith ushers us, ushers us into a way of life where his works begin to work through us. And he begins to manifest and show himself, represent himself in this world. And this world desperately needs that. This world needs that. So do we believe in him to save us? then we need to believe in him to use us. Amen?
If we believe in him to save us, we need to believe in him to use us. He wants to use your life to represent his kingdom. His inheritance for his children is his kingdom, to represent the power and the distinction of his kingdom. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. This is our inheritance. Will we embrace our inheritance? That is the question. Will we trust King Jesus to now frame our new view of this life? And will we embrace our inheritance? To pray with a confidence and trust in his character and his personhood and to do the works that he did. Do you believe that he's actually prepared a place for you? He's prepared a space in the kingdom for you to occupy that only you can occupy and only you can express the kingdom in, in your specific way. The world needs that. Like I've said all along, these messages on identity and the love of God, they're so personal. And they're, they're so um, difficult oftentimes for the church to embrace because they call us out of the building and outside of what's comfortable to actually go and express the kingdom and represent his kingdom in this world. I'm gonna ask you all to stand to your feet. We're gonna respond to the love of the son, amen? That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give space to respond to the love of the son. King Jesus is leading you past the door, past the gateway, which obviously I would describe that, that door, that gateway is salvation, trusting in him as savior. And he's leading us past that gateway, past the threshold into a new way of life, into a kingdom that now he'll begin to reorient our Monday through Sunday. I want us to respond to King Jesus this morning. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. I said it right on the outset that today is the day of salvation. And Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's such good news. He's made it clear to us. We get to live in the age when that's known, that revelation is made so clear, crystal clear. He is the way. And I always want to give an opportunity for people to get their lives right with God. If you're here this morning and you know today is the day of salvation for you. Today is a day where you need to get right with God. Today is a day where you need to surrender your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, not because I'm gonna call you out or embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If you're here this morning and you say, Drew, yeah, that's me. I need to get my life right with God. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to start a relationship with God. I need to either start a relationship or restart a relationship with God, recommit my life to him, any of those things. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Praise God for that moment. We praise God for that moment where we see him for who he is. And not just as a distant historical figure, but as a present personal reality. So Lord, this is the way you can pray. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, this is a matter of your heart between you and God. And you can pray like this. Lord, this morning I come to the end of myself. I realize that I am in complete need of you that I can't do this on my own. And I've been trying, but I always make a mess of it. And so this morning I come to the end of myself and I surrender myself to you as Savior, as Lord, as King. It's the only answer for my sin issue. The only answer for the separation between me and the Father. 
this morning, I place my faith in you. I confess you as Lord. And now I know I'm a child of God because Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. Now I have a new way of life and I submit myself to that new way of life. I'm walking through the gate, through the doorway into a new way of life in this kingdom. In your mighty name, amen. If you keep your eyes closed, just respond to the Lord right now. The love of the Son is personal. And I asked two very clear questions this morning. Will you, will you submit, will you trust now your new view of, of life to the kingship of Jesus? Will you trust him with that, your view of life now to be informed by the kingship of Jesus? And secondly, will you embrace your inheritance? Lord, as a church family, we collectively submit ourselves to your rule, your reign for our lives. We, we've emphatically said we don't want to be a Sunday morning church. We want to be a church of everyday believers living out this gospel of the kingdom every single day. And that means you must sit on, the, uh, sit on the throne of our hearts. So we invite you into that place. We declare this morning that we trust you. We trust you beyond what our hearts even want to, Lord. We say we trust you. We trust you, King Jesus. Lord, what I'm believing is gonna happen in our church is we trust King Jesus to lead us into this vast expanse of the kingdom, past the threshold, past the gate, past the door, into this new way of life. You're going to give us a, a grace to embrace our inheritance. You're gonna unleash in this church a revival of believers actually doing the works that Jesus did and even greater things in your name. You're gonna unleash a revival of believers actually praying like Jesus prayed, seeing the breakthrough because there's such a confidence and trust in your character and your reputation, who you are. So I pray that over every individual this morning, that all across this place, there'd be people embracing their inheritance in you, like childlikeness. You may not even fully know what that means, but you're saying, I embrace my inheritance in you. It's what you purchased for me on the cross. I embrace my inheritance in you. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go there to those places. In your mighty name. That we worship. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.